sang you know the music the songs and everything and then also this morning we worship God through the word that uh, we will hear this morning you will see in your bulletin or in the program we're gonna be looking at uh, we're gonna be starting a series about worship you know about worship and uh, the title of the message is the authentic worship and even though I will not be here next week Rika will be teaching about worship, you know, about worship. And I hope that uh, you will be here and you will uh, continue to be blessed. And this morning, as we start this series, and after I come back on August, the first Sunday of August, I'll be leaving tomorrow to have a one-week vacation to Vancouver, Canada, visit my sister and some other uh, former church mates who were with us when I was in Saudi Arabia who migrated to Canada. And uh, thank the Lord for that opportunity because I will be preaching also and teaching there, I think, for two or three occasions maybe. But uh, just remember me in your prayers. And then after that, when I come back on August 7, I think that's the first Sunday of August or 8, if I'm not mistaken, we will be continuing the series on the studies about worship. And so this morning, the title of the message is The Authentic Worship. We will read a passage in uh, John chapter 4, so I, have, I hope you have your Bibles with you. going to be looking at the Samaritan woman, if you have read this maybe, some of you may have read that, but we're going we're gonna to be learning a lot of uh, lessons here about the authentic worship. So let's uh, turn, if you have your Bibles hopefully, oh, is it working? Uh, John chapter 4, verse 19 to 26. And then later on, we're going to be looking at other parts of that uh, passage. John chapter 4, verse 19 to 26. I'll be reading it from the New International Version. Chapter 4, verse 19 to 26. So follow along. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is a spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25 and 26. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you, I'm he. Okay, so I hope you, you followed along. And, uh, okay, it's working now. So uh, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, uh, three kinds or types of worship that in this passage we see. And then we're going to be learning the authentic worship that God really wants from us. Remember this year our, our theme is bearing fruit, right? For you who are regular members of Joy Christian Fellowship, you know that every year we have a theme. You know? And the other day I was reviewing our theme, yeah, last year was making the, the difference, you know what we want people to see in us as followers of Christ. And this year is bearing fruit to continue to uh, you know, bear fruit in our spiritual walk. The other day I was reviewing our team and I already have a team. I, I, I know that God impressed that until our eighth year of ex ex existence. 
you know what those teams are? I, I'm going to email that to you. But next year, our team will be Kingdom Perspective. And then after that, the following year, we're going to be Authentic Servanthood. Oh, no, not before Authentic Servanthood is Reflect and Connect. And then after that is Authentic Servanthood. And then on this, the following year is uh, Crossing Over. And then after that, I think the following year is having a fresh vision of Christ. You know, I, I really believe it's, it's good for us to have those kind of things. And like this, this year, Bearing Fruit, there are different areas in our spiritual lives, in our spiritual walk, where we can continue to bear fruit. Can you say amen to that? Right? You know, we don't remain to be stagnant Christians. Right? Are you with me? So we have to realize that you know, coming to church, being a follower of Christ, it doesn't end in uh, you know, a certain period. Even I myself, I'm learning. You know, I'm learning tremendously, especially when, when my wife went home to be with the Lord two, two years from now. You know, I'm learning a lot of things about God, how He deals with us. Are you with me? So this morning, one area we want to learn more to bear fruit, to grow more, is in the area of worship. You know, we're going to be looking at the authenticity or maybe the synonym of the word authenticity is two words, truth or reality. The truth or reality of worship from the account of uh, this Samaritan lady that we will be looking into. The, some questions we may ask is how, how can we as God's children experience an authentic kind of worship? How can we do that, you know? Or maybe we can say, does our worship depend on the outward elements like place, you know, like atmosphere, weather maybe sometimes, especially here in the Northwest. I don't know in Seattle how much rain they get, but I think they are saying that they get more than Oregon. I'm not sure if that's true, <laughs> you know. But does that affect our worship? You know, when you wake up on Sunday morning, oh, it's too cloudy, it's too rainy, maybe, it's, maybe God will understand. So I don't need, I just watch TV or he listen to my iPad maybe. Does that affect our worship? Or, you know, do, do we worship because it's our duty? We, we feel like, like a duty, it's a Sunday thing that I have to be there in the church. Or maybe, question maybe that we can really see that we need to answer is in your bulletin. It's, it's in the bulletin. Do we encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, glorious presence in our worship unto Him? Do we encounter His presence? I remember there is this story, it's not in the, the hand, handout here, but there is this story that uh, He never came to the service the same. That's the title of the story. You know, there was this guy who came to the church and he, most of the people of that church have their sort of like, you know, a specific parking spot. You know, some churches do that. <laughs> you know, there is, the, there is this even, I, I, I was invited in not too long ago in a Portland, dominantly a black African church in Portland where there are so much gang activities and I was able to teach in a uh, uh, discipleship group. And when I was parking, I noticed there was this notice uh, spot said reserved for the senior pastor. <laughs> I said, whoa. <laughs> so then when I parked, I said, where do I need to park? I'm not the senior pastor. I'm just a guest here. <laughs> so where do I need to park? But did you know, there, this, this story is about a guy who came to this, this specific church. And then when he parked in this spot, there is this car that just drive beside him. And then the guy rolled up the... You know, the guy, the, the new car that came in said to the guy who's supposed to be a visitor of that church, said, hey, that's supposed to be my parking spot. Okay, so the guy moved his car gently and maybe parked some, put the car in another spot. And then so he came to the church, the sanctuary, and he sat quietly in a specific spot again. 
And then there is this family that came, excuse me, sir, that's supposed to be our family's spot. <laughs> so this guy's kind of thinking, oh, what, what kind of church did I went into now? <laughs> you know? But anyway, they continued to worship. And then a miracle happened. They were asking for the presence of Christ. They were saying, Lord, reveal yourself, manifest Christ in our midst. And this visitor guy, when they were singing and they were standing, you know what happened? There was, some, there was blood coming out of the, the body of the guy, of the visitor. And then, as he was worshipping, there was like, you know, nail, nails pierced. And there was, and then of course all the people were shocked. Hey, what's happened? You're becoming bloody. They didn't realize that it was Christ himself. Of course, that's a fictional story. But that's the true essence of worship. Do we experience the glorious presence of Christ in our worship? I want for you guys to really see this because this is very important. And this morning, we're going to be looking at, you know, as, as, as uh, the Samaritan lady is speaking with the Lord Jesus Christ, having that personal encounter, you know, we will be looking at three types of worship. Notice what the lady said in verse 20. Our fathers worship on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. In verse 20 of John chapter 4. This Samaritan woman spoke these words at a lengthy conversation actually with Jesus at the well. They talk about water, her marital story. If you will read that from verse 1 and, and so on. That's the story. Actually, we're going to be looking at that a little, a little bit later. And then they talk about Jesus' true identity. And then after that, they talk about worship, especially in the passage that we, we, uh, we read earlier. As they discuss worship, you know, she was exposed, you know, or we, we will see here about the three types of worship that was mentioned here. The Samaritan worship, the Jewish worship, and the authentic worship that we will be talking about. The first point we want to see is the Samaritan worship. Notice in, in verse 22a, you know, actually, I want to read it from the Good News Translation. It's better written in the Good News Translation. Verse 22, letter A, reads, You Samaritans do not really know whom you worship. Did you hear that? Jesus was kind of strong on these words, right? He said, You Samaritans do not really know whom you worship. Now, maybe some of you are, uh, maybe have that question. Who are these Samaritans anyway? You know, have you heard of the Good Samaritan? Right? The Good Samaritan story. They have a Good Samaritan ministry here in, uh, near in Washington Square. And uh, I'm praying that God would lead me. I have already spoke, uh, I mean, spoke with several ladies. I might be able to have an opportunity to kind of share the grief, share Bible study group in that area because they're help, help the ministry of Good Samaritan here in Portland, the office in near Washington Square, they are trying to help people to recover from their loss, maybe recover from you know, addiction and everything. But anyway, let's look a little bit background about the Samaritan. You know, the Samaritans, according to one article I encountered, they are natives or inhabitants of Samaria, which is a distinct territory or region in central Canaan. This is in the Middle East, of course, part of Jerusalem or Israel. Until the rise of Assyrian power in the ancient Near East, Samaria was occupied by the tribes of Ephraim and the western portion of the tribe of Manasseh. This Ephraim and Manasseh are part of the 12 tribes of uh, Israel from the Old Testament. Many of the sites in Samaria held important places in Israelite history. Mount Gerizim 
and Mount Ebal were the scene of the covenant renewal ceremony in Joshua's time. That, you can see that in Joshua chapter 8, verse 30 to 35. Shechem, which is situated near Mount Gerizim, was an ancient Canaanite town that regained its earlier prosperity during the monarchy. It became capital of the northern kingdom of Israel briefly under Jeroboam, which is, uh, you can see that in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25. Now, these Samaritans is more of a mixed race with Jewish roots. You know, they are more of a mixed race with Jewish roots. However, the Jews, the original full-blooded Jews, they hated them. The Samaritan really doesn't, you know, the Jewish people, they kind of look down on the Samaritan people. That is why the woman was surprised when Jesus first spoke to her. Notice in verse 9. Can you, can you turn with me here in verse 9 of chapter 4? Remember, Jesus was, he was traveling, so he was tired. Let me read that from... Uh, uh, where is that? Verse 4 of, of John chapter 4. Let's read it from verse 4 until verse 9. Now when he, now he had to go through Samaria pertaining to Jesus Christ. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, near the plot of, of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. You know, the sixth hour is equivalent to 12 noon. And this is the height of the, the day, actually. It's so, so hot. And he traveled quite several miles, you know. And so he was tired. And then, verse 7, when a, woman, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? This is how Jesus, you know, initiated conversation to the Samaritan woman. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So it's only Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Then verse 9, notice how the Samaritan woman responded to Jesus' word. Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then the, in the NIV, there is that uh, parenthesis uh, uh, additional word there that says, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. See? And plus the fact, during those days, a man and a woman cannot be seen in public. That's why this Samaritan woman was really shocked. So she, she, she was saying, Hey, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. She, notice that how she pointed that out? She can even say, I'm a Samaritan, but she put the word woman because that is not allowed in public. Are you seeing the point? So this discussion, this conversation is really you know, becoming a little bit uh, controversial. right? And then uh, later on, you will see how the conversation goes on. And then when we come, come to our passage, it went to the study or the topic about worship. You know? And that's why Jesus said, you Samaritans do not really know whom you worship, you know. Uh, for a time, the Samaritan people, actually they had, uh, uh, their own system of worship is kind of mixed up because they have Jewish roots, but they have other, you know, uh, heritage. Are you seeing the picture? So it's more of like a mixed up of worship. That's why uh, Jesus said, you do not know whom you worship. Uh, for a time, the Samaritan people, they had their own temple in Mount Gerizim. Actually, the woman that was saying that, uh, verse, where is that? Uh, verse 20. Our fathers worship on this mountain. The mountain that the Samaritan woman was speaking about is that Mount Gerizim. Because that's their tradition of the Samaritan people. Okay, so for a time they had their own temple on Mount Gerizim, even though they were worshippers, Jesus was saying to, to this Samaritan lady, You are in error. You do not know whom you worship. You know, this is the Samaritan worship. I call this, or we can call this, 
lack of knowledge kind of worship or ignorance in worship. How about us? Do we come to Sunday morning because we just want to be there? Or do we really know why we worship or whom we worship? Are you with me? You know, come to think about it. Whether we like it or not, whether you will agree with me or not, in any form, there is an element of worship that we do in most everything that we do. Right? You know, like you. Sometimes we even say, oh, I worship my spouse. She's very good cook. Oh, I worship my husband. He looks like Tom Cruise. Oh, I worship my Mercedes Benz. Whenever I ride, you know, ladies just turn their head. The young people, maybe they, they would say, oh, I worship Hannah Montana. You know, she's really cute. <laughs> Justin Bieber, you know. Whether you like it or not, there is one point that everything we do, there is a worship. But the question is like the Samaritan. Jesus said, you do not know whom you worship. How about our Sunday worship? That's the, that's the first kind. And then the second type of worship that Jesus was speaking is about the Jewish worship. Notice how, what he said in uh, verse 22, letter B. After he said that, you, do, you Samaritans do not know really whom you worship. And then after that, he, he, he continued from the Good News Translation also, verse 22B. But we Jews know whom we worship. You know, Jesus pointed out that the Jews, since he is a Jew, a full-blooded Jew, that up until then, the Jews were in a better position than the Samaritans to know what worship was to be. Did you hear that? Their system of worship, what's the system of the worship of the Jewish people? The law, the Old Testament law that they do. You know, I made a study before, and I think I, I shared that before here, but just to review, there were ceremonial laws, there were uh, civil laws, there were spiritual laws, and all in all, there was like about more than hundreds of laws. I think, if I'm not mistaken, there were about 600 laws that the Jewish people follow as part of their worship system. Imagine, 600 laws? If you will do that today, can you memorize everything? <laughs> I don't think so. And then you come on Sunday morning, oh, I forgot the 500 law. So maybe I should go back. Is that crazy? You know? But that's their system of worship during those days. And the, uh, their, their feast days, they have their so many, I think if I'm not mistaken, there were like about 12 feast days throughout the year that they follow religiously, part of their worship system. You know? And then their temple activity, their animal sacrifices. You know how many sacrifices that they do? You know, in, in, during the Old Testament time, like in uh, the book of uh, Exodus, actually, from the book of Exodus and onward, they, on a regular day, if it's not a special holiday or feast day that they celebrate, normally, one Bible commentary says that they would bring in about 200 sacrifices just to worship. Imagine how many lamb that was slaughtered for, you know, 200. And that's only on a regular day. And that's part of their worship, the Jewish worship. And Jesus was saying... We know whom we worship. This is the system of the Jewish people during that time. He had chosen them, the people, I mean the Israelite people. God has chosen these people to be a special people, a, a generation that God chose. The, the ones through whom the Messiah would come. Jesus would come to, to, to the Jewish people, you know. They were therefore better able to practice the right kind of worship. Yet, notice, huh? according to our passage, Christ did not say that this is the authentic worship. Or the correct way of worship. He, he just said, we know whom we worship. Are you following? You know, Jesus said, uh, I will read that again, the whole verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But then we will go to the next point, but before I go there, you know, in verse 23, that's where Jesus was saying about this is the authentic worship. But before, before we go there, I want to share this, that if the first kind of worship, the Samaritan worship, if we can call it the lack of knowledge kind of worship or ignorance in worship, this Jewish worship or system of worship is what I call the full of knowledge of worship. It's more of like an arrogance. Did you hear that? You know, because it's like saying, oh, the Jewish people are like saying, okay, we know everything. We follow the law. We have the feast day, the traditions, the activities, and the, the, the Messiah came through the Jewish people, so we are more correct in our worship. But yet, that's not the authentic worship. Are you with me? No. Now, maybe you, you will ask, what's the authentic worship? This is now the, the next point. Let's look at ver verse 23. You know, the authentic worship. This is what I call the spirit kind or the spirit-led kind of worship. Notice from the Living Bible, verse 23 and 24. And you will read along in your Bibles. But the Living Bible, I kind of like the way that it was put there together with the words that it was used. Verse 23 to 24 of the John chapter 4. For it's not where we worship that counts. And then Jesus said, but how we worship. Is our worship spiritual and real? And then those words. Do you, we have the Holy Spirit's help? For God is a spirit and we must have his help to worship as we should. And then notice the last sentence there. The Father wants this kind of worship from us. I'm going to read that last part of verse 3 in uh, the King James Version. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Have you, have you ever heard of the word seeker-sensitive church? You know, most of the new churches that is uh, being you know, established nowadays, they, they, even the old ones, they're trying to change their gears, their paradigm so to speak, and they are saying it's supposed to be a seeker-sensitive church. Have you ever heard that word? Most of the new generation churches are like that. But in reality, it's not a seeker-sensitive church. It's supposed to be God seeking us because according to this word, this is God, what, what God wants from us. This is what He's seeking from us, you know, to worship Him with the Holy Spirit's direction and help. Are you with me? So, Based from that, if we, are, if we want to have that the kind of worship, the Holy Spirit will help us. Will you agree? Or maybe not. When the Holy Spirit comes into the worship, anything can go. Anything can happen. It's not supposed to be a set of rules that on 1030, there will be an opening song and prayer and so forth and so on. Are you with me? It's, it's good to have those, you know, procedures. But if you let the Holy Spirit work, He might just lead us one, one Sunday maybe just to, to sing. You know, and no message at all. And then after that, we will all leave and we will say, Oh, yeah, really, I really experienced the glorious presence of Christ. Did you hear me? Because when you let the Holy Spirit work, you can never predict it actually. Remember, God is, you know, in, in the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit is God, the third person, right? Are you with me? And God is not limited in a sort of like a set of rules. Right? So when we are sensitive to the Spirit's leading, 
we can let him, as, as, as he mentioned that in the Living Bible, do we have the Holy Spirit's help? Do we worship in, in, re, in reality? Is our worship spiritual and real? Or are we just coming to church because it's like what I said, it's tradition. It's my responsibility. Or is it because out of your excitement that it's Sunday again? I like what Luella was saying earlier, you know. Are you excited? You're excited because you, you cannot... It's like you cannot wait for the next Sunday worship if you are really led by the Holy Spirit. I hope you see the point. This is the acceptable kind of worship according to the Father in verse 23. The Father seeks this kind of worshipers. Those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So even as Christ spoke, a new day of worship is emerging according to this part here. Actually, before verse 23, look at verse 21. He said, as he, he was speaking to the Samaritan lady, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's like he was saying, Believe me, woman, there will, time, there will come a time that you will not worship the Samaritan way or the Jewish way. It's, it's going to be just the authentic worship, the Spirit-led worship. And then he, he mentioned verse 23 and 24. So, the Old Testament form was being replaced by a new living way. That's what Jesus is telling us here. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 19 and so on. Look at what uh, the writer of Hebrews said about this new kind of worship, this acceptable worship before God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice from verse 19 and so on of Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, notice the word, by the blood of Jesus, not by those sacrifices that they do during the Old Testament time. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is His body. Because of Jesus Christ's death, because of His sacrifice on the cross, we have now that open access to come to God in worship anytime, any place. Are you with me? So, through His death, actually, oh sorry, before that, no longer would the law the Old Testament law with its ritual and sacrifice be needed. The sacrifice of Jesus would change all of that. This is a new and living way. You know, a more real way of worshipping God. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, the way to God would be open. Can we say amen to that? Can we say amen to that? Looks like there's only a whisper. Amen. Like you are shy to say amen. Imagine through his death and burial and his resurrection, we have all access to the throne of God. And that's nothing you can buy with your credit card. I tell you folks, right? No matter how many credit cards you have, it's already paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Is that true? So, it's, it's, that's why every Sunday should be for me, that's why I told you one time, I'm always excited, even on Saturday night sometimes. Like this morning, I woke up again at 2 o'clock in the morning. I said, oh man, got another day to worship. Of course, my neighbor is not doing his laundry. You know, don't get me wrong. He's not doing his laundry. I thought it, it was, but it, it was my electric punch. Because <laughs> it's too hot. But anyway, are we excited to experience the glorious presence of Christ when we come on Sunday morning? You know, sometimes we have this tendency. I, I, I was guilty of that. You know, when, when preachers preach, 
Sometimes people think that they only preach to the people, to the congregation. But actually, in, in my case, I preach to myself. You know why? Because when I was in the Philippines during my early Christian days, you know, when sometimes we need to go to the, to the church after I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope, I think that was only three babies. Ruth was not yet born at that time, I think. And you know, Sunday morning when you come, and during those days, disposable diapers are not really popular yet. Right? So, Sunday morning, we will go to church, and then we all, me and my wife, will, we're all dressed up, and one of the small child will just poop. <laughs> said, man, what a day to start to worship, huh? Then, better not go to the church anymore. It's all ruined anyway. <laughs> well, sometimes we have those, you know, even those little irritations, right? You know? This morning, I was listening to... Uh, the son of Charles Stanley, Andy Stanley. I, I, I really was so moved and touched with his uh, message. Actually, the message, it's funny because he started the message with the conclusion. <laughs> you know, and he even said, this is the, the main thesis of the message is this. Say, say this with me and then after that, if you need to leave, just leave. <laughs> say, whoa, <laughs> what, a, what a way to start your sermon on Sunday, you know. But it, it really touched me and opened my heart to the reality of Worship and even going to church. You know, the main thesis of his message is like, application makes all the difference. Application makes all the difference. And he, he kind of brought it to the worship that I was think, thinking of really sharing with you guys here this morning also. A little bit of it, he said, you know, do you go to Sunday morning just because you want to be there? Or are you really just going to be there because you want to worship and encounter the glorious presence of Christ? And that after you leave the church, you can say like what Luella was saying earlier in her prayer, that you will never be the same again. You want to apply what you hear this morning. You know, it's good to take notes. It's good to memorize. To have that, you, maybe the Spirit of God created some guilt in us. But that's not enough. It will never change us. It will not bear fruit if you don't apply it. That's why his main thesis, application, makes all the difference. All who place their faith in Christ would become the true worshipers of God. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Only this guy nods his head. Looks like he's the only one going to heaven. <laughs> Have you placed your faith in Christ? Yes. You know, when, when you face, when you put your faith in Christ, then you know that you are a true worshiper. And you have that spot already. You know, remember those uh, computer uh, terminology, you have your space in heaven. And you can worship God, you know, in spirit and in truth. I call this, we can call this the Holy Spirit-led kind of worship or the authentic kind of worship. Now, according to this passage, as, as Jesus was saying even in verse 21, the time will come that you will neither worship God in this mountain or even in Jerusalem. So meaning to say, and then he said, this is the new kind of worship. This is the, the, the new emerging worship, the spirit-led. This is what the Father seeks, the true worshipers. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. In essence, Jesus was telling the Samaritan lady that, when you worship Him in the, the authentic way, you can worship Him anywhere. Did you hear me? You can worship Him anywhere and anytime. You don't need to wait for Sunday 10.30 in the morning. Right? We can worship by ourselves. You know? 
In essence, that what Je that's what Jesus was saying to the Samaritan lady. Jesus said to the woman, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He spoke these words to help the Samaritan woman understand that the worship of God is not restricted to a particular system or location, so to speak. You know, the mere thought of God, the mere thought of God, anytime, anywhere, is all the occasion we need for another act of worship. Did you hear that? Whenever God comes into your mind, whatever you're doing, you know, sometimes when, when I was working for Fred Meyer, back, like, since I came here 2001 to 2003, before I got laid off, on Sunday mornings, because my first day of work when I was working for Fred Meyer Computer Center in Portland is sa Saturday night. I work from 10.30 uh, in the evening until 8, 8 in the following morning. So Saturday night I come and then following morning, 8 o'clock, I drive Highway 26 from Southeast Portland. And there were times, like I think it was 2002 or 2003, December, Highway 26 was all white because of the snow. What a glorious scenario. And I said, I was, I was driving there, 55 speed, and just worshiping God. I even had tears in my eyes. I said, what a beauty of your creation, Lord. You have allowed me to experience, to see the beauty of your creation, your artistic creation. Imagine, I compare that to the arid desert. I came from eight years working in Saudi Arabia. And I said, man, here is all snow. What a tremendous, and only you can do it, God. So you worship God anytime, any place. Just the mere thought of God, you know. The mere thought of God anytime, anywhere is all the occasion we need for another act of worship. For us, this means that the mother in the kitchen can worship. The worker in the factory can worship. The student in the classroom can worship. The sick person on the hospital bed can worship. The businessman in the office can worship. We can worship him anywhere, anytime. The truth of his goodness touches our awareness. Did you hear that? That's why for me, and some of you may have heard me say this, but that's why for me, it's the other way around. What I mean is that most of the time, we think that we come to Sunday and worship so that the whole week, we will experience or feel the presence of God. But it's supposed to be, for me, it's supposed to be working the other way. How? From Monday to Saturday, you experience the presence of God. His reality, His presence in your life, in every moment of your life. And then when Sunday comes, you are all fired up. You know, you are all prepared. You are, you are all ready to worship. For me, the Sunday worship is just like the icing on the cake. It's not supposed to be the other way around. Did you hear me? You know, that's, that's what Jesus is telling to this Samaritan lady. You don't need to go to this mountain to, the Jeru to follow the Jerusalem system of worship. You can access the throne of God because you worship Him. This is what the Father seeks, the worshiper who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. It is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates His presence to men. Sometimes we, 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 we feel like, oh, I'm not growing in my spiritual life. You know, sometimes the, the teaching maybe or the, what I'm reading is not really speaking to me. But look at what this writer said. This is, I got this from one of my uh, study material. It is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates His presence to men. The question is, do we worship only God on Sunday morning? We worship Him every day, supposed to be. Right? You, anytime that you have that sense of God in your life, 
you see a small, you know, there is this person that he, she is one of my instructors in George Fox University when I was taking my master of course. Actually, she said, you know, she likes triangle. She is more of like a, I forget now, the Trinitarian, I think so to speak, because triangle for her is like speaking about the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Anywhere she, she looks, anywhere she goes, she would always see that the Trinity. Is that amazing? She has that consciousness of God in every moment of her life. So it's the process of when we worship really God, even, our, even in our personal time, He communicates to us. You know, last night I was reading my devotional book and I came across with this uh, old uh, preacher. Uh, he's a German, I think, and I'm not sure what time of the history he was. But what really struck me is that he spends... 8 to 10 hours a day communing with God. And he said, according to his testimony, now I forgot his name, but I believe he's a German. He said, if I don't do that every day, I don't feel my day is complete. Imagine, 8 to 10 hours communing with God. What happens to your work? What happens to what you eat? What happens when you watch the, the sports channel or everything, or the Facebook? It's a good thing there's no Facebook during those days. <laughs> Right? Maybe there's not even a computer during those days. But he's, he said, my day is not complete when I don't commune with God 8 to 10 hours a day. And sometimes we think, I should go because I, I should grow, I should bear fruit in my spiritual life because I go to church on Sunday mornings anyway. And how much time do you spend in, in the Sunday church? If, if you will count that. So you need to realize the importance of worshiping by yourself communing with God. Also, we worship with others. You know, there are many who see the personal side of worship without recognizing the importance of group worship. To think this way, though, it is, it is to ignore the history of Israel, the example of the early church, and the direct commands of Scripture. Notice in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 to 47. This is the story of the early church. After Jesus arose from the dead, and he was ascended into heaven. This is what happened, actually. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 to 47. The early church during those days. Uh, I'll be reading it from the NIV. Every day, notice these people. This is the early church. Every day, verse 46 of Acts 2. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And then verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Imagine the, the church was growing tremendously during those days. Why is that so? Because they are meeting every day. Their worship is every day. It's not just on a Sunday, 10.30 to 12. And sometimes some people, and I'm guilty of this when I was just starting in my early Christian life back home in the Philippines, I would look at the bulletin and they would put in the bulletin, oh, next week the preacher is a pastor so-and-so. And then I would think in my mind, oh, this guy speaks so long. Maybe we should go to another church next week. Sometimes I'm guilty of that. You know, when we go to the church, we just don't think those things that we need to worship God, but we think about, oh, the weather is not convincing, you know, and... I don't really feel like going to church. It's better to go to the beach. Especially sunny. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of that. When I was starting the church here in True Life, it's Friday night, the service that I started there in True Life. Friday night. Remember, Richard, it was Friday night, right? And there was one Friday, Friday morning, because I work in the evening. I was too tired. 
And I was telling my wife, Mommy, can I just call in sick? And, and then my wife kind of jokingly said, Hello, you're the pastor. <laughs> so who's going to preach tonight if you call in sick? But you know, and then it kind of rebuked me. I, I should have that attitude of excitement to worship with other believers. The early church worshiped together regularly. Their gatherings were a time of singing, praying, teaching, and giving. You know, on these occasions, all types of people. During those days, there were men, women, there were adults, there were children, there were rich and poor, there were masters and slaves, there was there Jew and Gentile alike coming together worshiping during those days. You know, now, nowadays, the worship service that we do, if you are not into the so-called in thing of the culture, you know, like I even was smiling last Thursday when I was in the Thursday pastor prayer group I go to here in Hillsboro. And one of the pastors said, and he's pastor of a pretty, pretty large church. I think his church is like more than four or 500 people maybe. Anyway, he said, you know, I was thinking why this guy keeps on coming to our church. Apparently, he was getting some new folks in his church. And he said, our church is not that sexy really. <laughs> I said, what a term. <laughs> you know, what a term to use. <laughs> but come to think about it. When you come to, to God to worship on Sunday morning with fellow believers here, the main thing supposed to be is we experience the glorious presence of Christ. Right? The glorious presence of Christ. No matter what the temperature may be, no matter how many people. Sometimes it's, it's kind of discouraging when you come to church. Oh, there's only three people there. <laughs> how, this, how will this church survive? I know of a church in Portland, a Filipino friend of mine. You know how many their church is? Three people. Him, his wife, and his nephew. That's it. And this guy, he goes to our Filipino Pastors Prayer Fellowship every month. I said, man. <laughs> I, I was thinking at my mind, how I, I admire this courage, you know. He, he doesn't get discouraged. Corporate worship in the early church during those days had to deal with the threat of religious persecution. You know, during the early church in the book of Acts, they were persecuted. You know, they, they were persecuted. They, they, they were, uh, their, their lives is at stake. Many believers wavered their faith during those days because they were persecuted. Now, if you are found to be a believer, you're going to be beheaded you know, during those days. And I was part of that in, the, in Saudi Arabia when I was uh, there eight years. If, that's why earlier I was talking to Nana and Nana here, that, Tata and Nana here, that during those, when I was there in Saudi Arabia, I kind of, relate to the experience of the early church in the book of Acts because back in Saudi Arabia, we even have codes on the telephone or even in public because there are those who are uh, infiltrating the church, try to squeal, you know, but yet we still grow. You know, when, when I first came there in 1992, the church was like about 50 to 60 people only. When we left 2001 to move over here in Oregon, the church is more than 200 several more Bible, Bible study groups. And they cannot even meet like this with liberty because more than 200 people, imagine how many cars would be parked, <laughs> right? And that's going to be obvious to the neighbors. So you have to... But nevertheless, in the early church, they, they became committed to their coming together. Notice Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I hope you can turn 
with me there in Hebrews 10 verse 25. And the writer of the Hebrews knows that there is this persecution going on during the early church days. But then in verse 25, the, the writer of Hebrews, actually let's read it from verse 24 of Hebrews 10. Verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another in, on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice the word that was used there. Let us not give up meeting together. And then the writer even said, as some are in the habit of doing. You know, one, one pastor friend of mine said, it's kind of hard to teach the new generation nowadays. You know, of course, he's not saying this judgmentally or critically. And no, he's, he's saying this with love. Said because most of the new generation now, the younger folks, the younger couples maybe, they tend to have this mentality of because of the you know like the iPad and everything that they can still worship God in their own place, just viewing the iPad or the TV or the internet and everything or the whatever the technology that they have. They don't need to be there present in the church, and so sometimes it's hard to really people to grow because sometimes we need to teach or preach messages that are serious are you following you know like this one worship it, it, you cannot just actually when you study about the book of worship I, I was reviewing so many of my study materials i said man this could take me more than a year to finish the whole thing <laughs> and then we'll just kind of squeeze it like for two three sundays only there's a lot of aspect about some other topics that we want to teach but so if you people if us will not be regularly going to the church if we will have that habit of not meeting together it's going to be hard for us to grow spiritually, to bear fruit. You will hear like tidbits of one Sunday and then after that you're going to lose the other part of it. Are you seeing the picture? You know, that's why it's important also that you worship with others. You congregate with other people. You know, uh, in your bulletin it's written there, it is sometimes said that conduct is supremely important and worship helps it. The truth is that worship is supremely important and conduct tests it according to William Temple. As we conclude this message this morning, I want to read verse 25 and 26, and then we will conclude this message. You know, look, notice the account here. This Samaritan woman had that personal experience or encounter with Jesus Christ. Notice verse 25 and 26 of our passage in John chapter 4. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. They were speaking about worship now, actually. Remember the previous verses, they were talking about the, the different kinds of worship. And then Jesus said, then Jesus declared, hello, if I will paraphrase his, his word, I'm here, this is me, this is Christ speaking to you. And if you were the Samaritan woman, how would you respond? You know, she, she said, I know that the, the Messiah, that the Christ will come and when he comes, he will explain everything to us about our worship, about the rightful kind of worship. And Christ was saying, hey, it's me. <laughs> I am He speaking to you. We want to conclude with these two basic outcomes of an authentic kind of worship, according to the Samaritan woman. The two basic outcomes. An authentic kind of worship brings godly conviction. Notice verse 7 to, to uh, actually verse 17. No, verse 16. Let me read it from verse 16 to 18. He told her, we're looking at John chapter 4, Go call your husband and come back. He, Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman. And then verse 17, the, the lady said, 
I have no husband, she replied. And then Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And then the lady said, Sir, I, I can see that you are a prophet, you know. When you have that personal encounter with Jesus Christ, it will bring to you godly conviction. The Samaritan woman's personal encounter with Jesus Christ opened her heart to the reality of her unrighteous lifestyle. Is that true? That's why it's really, it's really correct. When you come to church and then you leave to church, you will really know that you have been to church, you have worshipped God when you are changed. When you are convicted and then you make a step. Application makes all the difference. Right? Secondly, not only that this lady was convicted of her unrighteous lifestyle. Secondly, an authentic kind of worship testifies of our Lord God's gift of sal salvation. Notice what happened after this uh, Samaritan woman had this personal encounter with Christ. Turn with me to verse 39 to 42 of the same chapter. John chapter 4, verse 39 to 42. Remember, this is a, this is a Samaritan woman that the Jewish people hates. You know, they don't like to have any association with them. Verse 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from the town believe in him, meaning in Jesus Christ, because of the woman's testimony. See, she, see, she testified already of her personal encounter with Jesus Christ. He told me everything I ever did. That's what she said to the Samaritan people who was with her. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his word, many more became believers. Did you see that? You know, the Samaritan woman was used by God. She had a personal encounter with God, with Christ. The true and, uh, you know, uh, authentic kind of worship, it brings, you know, we, we, we become test witnesses. We testify to the gift of God of salvation. Actually, uh, as we continue on, verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man, meaning Jesus Christ, really is the savior of the world so an authentic kind of worship testifies of our lord god's gift of salvation you know then she became the, the samaritan woman became the living witness a living witness of our lord jesus christ a living witness for the message of salvation right that's why this morning as we conclude before we close in prayer i want to for you to realize you know the importance of this the authenticity of worship this morning as we close this worship celebration as we uh, close this uh, meditation one thing that i want you to think about is the question that we posed earlier this morning do we really experience the glorious presence of christ when we come to him in worship because you know when you experience that your life will never be the same again i guarantee that you know, your, your life will never be the same. And you know what happens when you leave the sanctuary? When you go back to your work, to your school maybe, or wherever you go, to your dabarkats maybe, to your peer groups or friends? You know, what happens? They will see the difference in you. They will see, oh, there's something changed in you. You don't say that F word anymore. You, you, you say now the H word. You know what the H word is? Hallelujah! You're not saying the F word anymore. Or maybe they say, oh, you're not saying the F word, you're saying the P word. You know what's the P word? Praise the Lord! Has something changed in you? Your countenance is different. Because that's what really 
happens when you have that authentic time of worship. Your life will never be the same again. Shall we pray?